Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. Happy April Fool's Day. I can't believe it's April already. I'm excited about it. April Fool's is always a fun day. I don't really partake in any pranks anymore, although I used to. I used to be really into pranks. My sister, unfortunately, had to deal with that. One time I froze a spider in an ice cube and made her a drink with it. It was interesting. Another time I sewed the the feet in the the arms of her all of her clothes so that she couldn't <laughs> wear any of her shirts or pants. Um, yeah, fun time. So fun fact about me. But if you're playing an April Fool's prank on anyone, I hope that you're not too mean to them. And if you have a good one, let me know because I get a kick out of them. This episode is definitely not a joke, though. We're covering a lot of serious things on this episode. Before I get into that, though. I don't really have too many personal updates other than it's April and I am taking a technology break. I'm taking I'm doing a technology fast for 5 days in the middle of April, so I'm just prepping you ahead of time so that you're aware because I know not everyone hears and listens to everything, but it's going to be starting April 14th and I will be off the grid. And I mean, this is not just social media detox, this is technology detox. So no phone, no texting, no phone calls, no computer, no television, no no technology. I am I got an Airbnb um uh, out of town. I'm not going to say where I'm going cuz I don't I don't know. Maybe I will later. But I'm just literally going to spend 5 days with myself. I am going to meditate, I'm going to read books, I am going to do some woo-woo things and just really go off the grid, truly go off the grid because I've done social media detoxes before, but I'm still answering emails. I'm still texting people. I'm still in communication and I just want some silence and I just know I need to do this. So I'm super pumped. So it's going to be April 14th. So just so you know, ahead of time, I'm starting to talk about it. I think that this whole topic of digital wellness is super important and that's a big reason why I'm doing it. And I'll share more about that later, but just so you know. What else is new? It's my birthday this weekend, so getting excited. I love birthdays personally. I know not everyone does, but I think they're so much fun. And I just always love to fill my birthday with all my favorite things, my birthday weekend, and just as an excuse to do all my favorite things. Not that I need an excuse, but I'm very excited. So that's kind of all that's new in my life in case you care what's going on with me personally. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's all that's new over here. Let's just roll into today's guest because I'm super excited for you guys to listen to this episode. So much incredible information. Today I'm chatting with Sarah K. Hoffman, who I'm sure many of you know. She is the founder of A Gutsy Girl and the creator of The Gutsy Girl's Bible, An Approach to Healing the Gut. She's a certified health coach from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. 
and she specializes in all things gut. She specializes in food allergies, food intolerances, digestive health, and women's issues in general. I found Sarah's content a few years ago when I was in the depths of my health journey and looking for someone to relate to, and I always have loved following her content. She's one of my favorite people to follow on social media, and she puts out so much so much high quality information. I just love all of her work. So I was super excited to have her on the podcast to talk about all things gut health. You guys know that this is one of my favorite topics. And Sarah is such a sweetheart, so down to earth, so genuine, and just really is on a mission to help as many people as possible. If you're not already familiar with her work, go to gutsygirl.com and check out all of her blog posts. Check out the Gutsy Girls Bible. She has so many incredible resources on there and follow her on Instagram. She has so much like truly helpful information on her Instagram. So great resource. If you love all things gut, you are going to love this conversation. Of course, I had an amazing time chatting with her. Would love to have her back on the show. So I cannot wait to hear what you guys think. So without further ado, here is Sarah K. Hoffman. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. I'm like a super fan of yours. Oh, no. I'm a super fan of yours. Anyone anyone who calls themselves a gutsy girl is my kind of girl. <laughs> um, you have quite the story. Well, before we get into your story, tell me, tell the listeners what you do. Who are you? So I am Sarah K. Hoffman, and I am a gutsy girl, and I basically am obsessed with all things digestive system, and I do a ton of research and writing all about IBS and IBD and just like women's issues in general. So like beyond that, you know, a lot of times... IBS and IBD kind of go hand in hand also with like low um, functioning thyroid and adrenal issues and infertility, which also came along with mine and just like other things like that. So a gutsy girl started as like all things like talking about, you know, very faux pas things like that have to do with women in the gut that like we don't really want to talk about, but we kind of have to. And, but then over time it evolved into all these other women's gutsy issues like infertility. Mm-hmm. So at what <laughs> point did you start a gutsy girl? Okay. So I actually started way, way, way back in the day on the blogger platform. And it was, my blog was called confessions, truth, and the journey of a misfortunate fitness foodie junkie. Oh my gosh. I can't even like, I can't even like stand how like long and obnoxious that is right now. But, um, that's where I started. And that was in 2008. It was, it was before I was diagnosed with colitis, like shortly before, but right, like, as I was going through like all, like my stomach was like in complete chaos. And I had been, um, diagnosed with like 22 food intolerances. And like, we knew something was wrong. We just didn't really know what. And so at the time I lived in California and my family was all in Minnesota. So basically I just started this little blog on the blogger platform, just as like a way to document what I was doing and mostly like, so that my mom could read it, you know, let's be honest. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was just like, this is what I ate today. This is what I did. And these are the tests I did today. Here's what, when I worked, it was just like that. It was like basically like a journal. And then after I was diagnosed, um, probably like in, like in 2012 or something, 
like that. I can't remember, but I transitioned over to WordPress. And when I made that transfer, it's so like it, like it always just gives me like all the feels because at that time in my life was like the most, it was like this huge change in my life. And I had been diagnosed with colitis, but I was still having all these gut issues. We didn't know what was wrong. And I had just gotten done with like this super vicious IVF cycle. And it was an IVF cycle that failed, but like that, what went along with it was because of all my stomach issues and all the drugs I had to do in like in preparation for it, I got even sicker. So after the, it failed, the IVF failed, my husband and I took this trip to Sedona, Arizona. And while we were there, I remember like, I can just like, I can picture it like it was yesterday. I was sitting by my computer and I could not figure out what I was going to title this new, like space. The blog was growing. So I wanted like something off of this whole concessions jazz (laughs) blog that I had. And I was sitting there and I was talking to the guy who was developing my website at the time. And he was the one that came up with a gutsy girl because it just, like, obviously, you know, it played off of the word gut. And it was just kind of like all the things that like had embodied my life up until that point. And, and then when I named it a gutsy girl, I had no idea, like all the things that would transpire even after that. So that's kind of how a gutsy girl came to be. I love that. Well, okay, let's kind of rewind. What was the first health issue you ever dealt with? Because I want to go back to kind of the start of your story, because you have a pretty incredible health journey. Yeah. Um, so I think I had like little things on and off growing up. Like I remember just as a child being tired all the time. I was the child that like at our cousin's slumber parties, I would be like curled up in my sleeping bag at like probably 8 PM. And my uncle, who's my godfather, he's my favorite. He always used to say to me, you're sleeping again, you know, cause I mean, I just, I was always tired. But beyond that, I mean, like I was probably sick like any other child was. i no, I took a lot of antibiotics, you know, whatever is nothing really. But what the first real, real recollection I have of getting really sick was my freshman year of college. I actually lived alone in a dorm room and I got tonsillitis and pharyngitis so badly. I was sick for about two weeks and I was just out. Like I could not get better. I just stayed so sick throwing up throat on fire. Um, and then ultimately that was like the beginning of the year. I did get better, but after that, all my problems started. Like, I just remember <laughs> like anyone that has any kind of stomach issues like this will be able to relate. It sounds so just awful and it is, but I would be in my dorm room and like barely any air would come out of me, but I could stink up the entire room. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is not happening a lot right after that bout of getting really sick. Yeah. Okay. So you were having horrible symptoms after that. And then what happened next? Did you start to look into fixing your symptoms or? No, I didn't. Um, at that time, truthfully, the way that I lived my life was, um, okay, we're going to take all the antibiotics doesn't matter if it's bacterial, if it's viral, I just want give me all the antibiotics. Hopefully it's going to get better. The problem is going to be gone. I also lived my life in a way that was, you know, to the outside world at the time, it looked very healthy because it was like 
fat-free, sugar-free, but it was just basically all chemical processed junk. Um, I drank. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't care about anything, but you know, trying to be as thin as I could and whatever. I mean, that's, that's, that was my life. And so I kept up with this vicious cycle for a very, very, very long time. And, um, so it was right before my senior year of college and I had been sick my entire junior year of college, the entire year. Um, I was on antibiotics probably every single month that entire year. And so by the end of the year, the doctors said that I was going to need to have my tonsils out. And by the time they took my tonsils out right before my senior year of college, they were so rotted, my tonsils and adenoids, that like I almost had none left. They were like kind of confused as to like what was even going on because there were none left. Um, Do you know what, what caused that? I don't, I mean, I don't know. I just kept getting sick. I mean, there could be you could speculate a lot of different things, right? I mean, you could speculate the way I was living. You could speculate, you know, that I was just, my immune system was down because of all like undiagnosed gut issues that I had that who knows. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, of course they just would continue to tell me that it was just, you know, a bacterial infection or a virus and antibiotics and it would go away and they, it just, it never lasted until, I got the tonsils out. And then it's funny because I, I talk about this all the time, but it's like, we always think that one, you know, like we're going to fix this one problem and then magically our lives are going to get so much better. Mm-hmm. You know, like it doesn't matter what it is in your life. Um, it could be, you know, a health issue like this, or it could be something other minor that you eliminate and you just think your whole life's going to change. But the reality is, is never, ever, ever works like that. The only way that real change happens is when you make real changes. And so I thought I was going to get better, but it's like literally on the drive, I, I went to school at the University of Minnesota. So that's in Minneapolis. And I had my procedure done near my hometown, which is where we live now, which is about an hour south of Minneapolis. And I remember right after the procedure, about a week later, I was driving back to college and on my drive back, my tongue felt like it was scraping and on the, on my left side of my mouth. And I called my mom and I was like, yeah, my throat started to feel so much better, but now like this is going on. So it's, that's what I mean by like, I thought everything was magically going to be better, but because I didn't change anything, Mm -hmm. nothing about me was changing. uh, I just actually kept getting sicker. So yeah, so I stayed, I kind of had this mouth issue. Um, it's actually still something that's very unexplained. Um, this like probably, well, one of the only things that's still unexplained on this whole journey that I've been on. Um, it's like 100% managed today, and I attribute it to healing my gut and to focusing on all the things, but we still never figured out what was wrong, and it plagued me for years and years and years and years, and it still can on and off today. Um, but it was around that time, my senior year of college, and when I got back, when a dentist was the one who actually said to me, maybe you're intolerant to some type of food. And it was like, it was, it was the very first time that something ever clicked in my brain, like, maybe there is something more mm-hmm. to that journey. Interesting that that dentist said something. 
you know? Well, yeah, he did say something, but the first thing he did was he gave me, um, without knowing what was wrong, he gave me an antibiotic for nystatin, which, if you know what that is, it's for to treat thrush, mm-hmm. because he just assumed, without me having any signs or symptoms of thrush, that that's what was going on, and so I actually got worse. Oh my because God. that's what happens when we take antibiotics that we don't need is we or medications or anything. We get worse typically. Um, and so I got worse. And so the second time when I went back to see him and he saw that I was worse, um, he is the one that said, maybe it's just some type of food or some, some something else that you're intolerant to. So, so when, after he said that, um, what did you do? Like, is that when he started researching like dietary changes or, So then I graduated from college and I moved out to the West Coast. I got a job um, in Los Angeles and I, you know, while I at least admitted that, okay, that could be the thing, I didn't know where to start, you know, and I think that's partly why I'm so passionate about what I do today is because I had no clue where to start with this whole journey. Um, So I didn't make any changes. I stayed miserable. I can remember wearing my three-piece suit and feeling so bloated in my stomach every single day. But what I was eating then were all the quote-unquote healthy things. You know, I was having like fat-free bread and yogurts and, you know, like I was just eating what what the magazines and what I thought was what the doctors were telling me was going to be fine for me. So I stayed doing that. Stayed, I just kept getting worse and worse. Stomach kept getting worse. Um, everything did. And then, um, and I was also very stressed because I was living away from home. I didn't know anybody. Um, so long story short, because that's like a whole nother piece of my life, but I, um, re-met my husband and I ended up moving back to Minnesota and leaving, leaving California. And then like, so this was like all in between 2005 and 2008, and I, during those three years, I just stayed a mess. Um, I got, we got engaged in 2008. And so then I was prepping for the wedding and I was worse than ever because I was barely eating. The things I was eating were like doing me no favors. Um, in 2008 is when I had my first colonoscopy and endoscopy and they found out that I had colitis. Mm. Um, at the time I was diagnosed with proctitis, which affects the lowest part of your colon or your rectum. And, um, I was diagnosed with that. And so their solution for me, was, um, a suppository called Canasa. And I did that for not very long because it made me worse. And it was right then and there that I, that I actually started to change and think that there had to be another way because I was still bloated, still miserable. They were giving me these medications, telling me that this was wrong. I mean, I had an answer or so I thought, and I, you know, felt grateful for that. But at the same time, I was still miserable. So I, um, that was in 2008, 2009, um, is kind of when we started trying to get pregnant. And then, you know, 2010, 11, 12, I was on a ton of drugs. Um, at that time, you know, I did start eating eating better, but I still didn't know what better was because I was eating for what I thought was just like general gut health. Mm-hmm. Um, and what did that look like? So for general gut health, like I, I thought that it was just, you know, a lot of like fruits and vegetables. And I always heard that like garlic was really good for the gut and 
you know, to stay away from, you know, grains. And I did do that. In fact, in 2009, probably the best decision I ever made and the biggest connection I made was when I did the gap diet for a while. My problem was I did it for far too long. And that's like something else that I've researched now and like really tried to like help women through is that like, yeah, it's great. But like, there's like a, there's like a point at which it's not, it can also like go against you in some ways as well. Um, at least in my experience. And yeah, so like I was eating like, you know, broccoli and Brussels sprouts and, you know, like, um, healthy bars and just all the things that I thought were really helpful for me. In fact, I even worked with a nutritionist and before I did the gaps and she, she had me doing like, um, very like vegan type stuff and I was getting worse and we couldn't figure out why. And I was the one that went to her one day and said, what, this is completely opposite of everything you and I have been doing, but what do you think about the gaps diet? I've been researching this. And she said, at this point with you, like, it can't hurt to try it. We just have to try something. And within like two days, my bloat was basically gone. And so I knew that I was onto something. Um, and again, my problem was, though, I didn't have my real diagnosis. So um, I stayed on gaps for way too long. And that didn't help me. But again, that's another story. So that's what I did in the beginning of what I thought was good gut health. You know, like today you can like read magazines and like for good gut health, it's like sauerkraut and kombucha and all the prebiotics and the fruits and the vegetables and, um, oh, don't eat grains. Oh, maybe sometimes eat grains or, you know, is this a lot of information and, and by the way, a lot of it's really conflicting. So that's kind of where I started. Mm-hmm. And then um, when did you get your quote real diagnosis? Yep. So that's what happened next. So I kind of stayed that path and just kind of tried everything on my own from about 2012 until then we adopted our first baby in 2013. And, and on so many levels, I'm like, it's like the greatest blessing of my life. But one thing that also I did was she was extremely prematurely born. She was born at 26 weeks. And so because she was so prematurely born, I was up 24 seven, like mm-hmm. feeding her and like, just, it was so exhausting. And I got super duper sick again. And I like literally hit rock bottom. I have perial dermatitis, which I have none right now, but like I, it was, you could see it on my blog pictures of it. It was, it got so bad, covered my whole face back um, I had zero energy, obviously I was living off of coffee. My stomach was so bloated. Um, I was just, I was off in like a million ways. And so when I hit rock bottom, I was like, I'm not going back to a quote unquote normal doctor. Mm-hmm. I am going to seek out the very best integrative doctor that I can find in this area, in the Bay Area, and I did. I got a recommendation from a friend. So I went to the California Institute for Functional Medicine, mm-hmm. and it's Chris Kresser's Institute. Yeah. And I was matched up with Chris's doctor, who is Dr. Sunday Schweig. And I walked into his office, and he was like, like he listened to me for, you know, and that was like novel idea, right. To listen to a patient. 
he listened to me, listened to all my symptoms, everything that was going on, looked at my face, looked at like everything that was going on. And he said, I think you have SIBO, but we're going to test to see. And so I went through a bunch of testing and sure enough, I was diagnosed in 2014, like a few weeks after with SIBO, a low functioning thyroid, um, adrenal fatigue, quote unquote, because I know people have issues with that term. And also my B12 levels were so depleted from the SIBO that I had to get B12 injections to my stomach at my second appointment with him. So it was like years and years and years, I believe, built up that just like it all just kind of came out and erupted and I had no place else to go but to like figure this out. Mm-hmm. And that was a real and bottleneck diagnosis. So what do you think was the root cause of your SIBO? So I have been researching and studying this since like for so long now because the thing is SIBO is one of those things for anyone listening that doesn't know what SIBO is, it's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and it just means that you have um, like a disproportionate number of bacteria that is in your small intestine because obviously we're supposed to have bacteria there but you just we just have too much. And so one thing that people with SIBO, like, usually it can be a chronic illness for people for their entire lives. They can never get rid of it because it's so hard to get rid of. And the reason I believe that is, is because it depends on why or how you got SIBO in the first place. And so to answer your question, it's so hard to know. But but doing all of the work that I've done and healing to a place that I have today, I I'm almost, I'm very confident that I, the reason why is because for years and years and years, I overate, I overworked, or overate, underate, overworked out, um, I lived on antibiotics, I did not do anything for, for myself, my stress levels, and my um, stomach acid was almost depleted, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people get SIBO because they don't have enough adequate stomach acid um, to break food down and and I like am like proof of that too because when I first was diagnosed I was taking up to like well I could have been taking more but doctor we we stopped there eight HCL pills with higher protein meals and I was still feeling nothing mm-hmm. no burning no like I had I was not producing any and to put that into perspective like if you are like have normal stomach acid it's like you take one maybe two and you have burning, which is where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. And that's where like, you should not have to rely on the HCL to like help you. So that's, I, we, we believe today that that's my bottleneck is that I didn't have, was not producing adequate stomach acid. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel you on that. I definitely, I think one time I just for fun went to 15 and didn't feel anything. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Yeah. So the, and the, the reason why we stopped at eight and the reason why it's not really recommended to go above that is, I mean, it's all, you know, you don't want to be taking that many, much HCL at once, but also because you're drinking so much water then mm-hmm. and drinking that much water with meals also is really hard to digest your meals appropriately. You should be drinking water like in between meals or, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know. I only do that once to test my limit, but I would usually do like. I mean, I would taking like five to seven, basically, HCL for like two years, you know, it's like, it's crazy how I can get so depleted. But so, so tell me about, um, 
kind of your path to overcoming the SIBO? Oh, it's been a long one. So uh, in the beginning, I, because I was at that point so frustrated with the whole antibiotic route, I refused that. And so we thought we were going to do that. We were going to go the herbal route. And I did. So I started with like a bunch of different herbals. Um, I can't even remember what they all were at this time, like berberine and, mm-hmm. um, just like I would get, he, he got me like different ones that were like combination pills that had a lot of different herbs in them. And we were really hopeful that that was going to work, but I stayed on the protocol for a pretty long time. I mean, that mixed with low FODMAP, mm-hmm. obviously, um, I stayed on that protocol for a pretty long time and I just wasn't getting better. Mm-hmm. And what I really loved about working with Dr. Schweig was that he recognized and was open to the idea that like, yeah, sometimes you really do need antibiotics and when you need them, you like, you just take them and you do it. And so uh, I did my first round of Rifaximin at the time. I had only tested positive for high hydrogen levels and not um, nothing. Mm-hmm. So um, I did a round of Rifaximin and I remember I wrote a blog post called um, uh, You Must Live Life. Mm-hmm. And it was towards the end of that round when I basically like, so for the first, I, I was on it for 21 days. For the first like 16, 17 days, I was low FODMAP and and I just wasn't getting any better. And then I was just like, oh, whatever. I mean, I'm going to finish this antibiotic. I'm just going to eat, you know, eat whatever kind of food I want. And magically, like on day 21, I felt so much better. And I like, it was, oh my gosh, like I couldn't believe it. I had felt like I'd never felt like that in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I was so grateful. The problem with SIBO though, is that if you do not under um, address the underlying cause, which for me, again, was the HCL, I didn't know it then it comes back. And so it came back for me. In fact, it came back for me. The last time I took the antibiotic was last June. So I've been, I've been free of it for a very long time because this last time I finally addressed all the underlying issues, mm-hmm. every last underlying issues. But, um, so for me, like my journey with it has looked like a combination of supplements and herbs. And, um, then I was even eventually diagnosed with high methane levels too. So rifaximin plus neomycin, um, I've done the neomycin and rifaximin twice and rifaximin alone once. And I've also done combinations of low FODMAP. Uh, when I take the antibiotics now, I never do low FODMAP anymore. I always, I always eat pretty much whatever so that I, you know, knowing that I'm going to feel horrible while I'm on the antibiotic, but afterwards it's like also worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have tried everything. I mean, I've tried all of the things from food standpoint and diet standpoint. Uh, and then this last year, I really, really started to embrace on that before, which was the lifestyle components the stress, reducing stress, figuring out what to do with like all of the things that were like going on in my head and um, the workouts and not working out. I mean, I went from running half marathons all the time to now like I work out, but like barely, you know, I mean, I, I mean, barely compared to before and it's like changed everything about how I feel and I, nothing like no workout, no food, no nothing is as good as like how I feel now. So Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that for a second because this is a common one 
I see with women, and I think looking at gut health issues in the context of women is a totally different ballpark than men, um, because as you've mentioned before, like, you know, we look at stress as a root cause of gut issues, and our stressors, a lot of women are, like, under-eating, over-training, and, like, oftentimes not meaning to. Like, you know, this is just, like, kind of what we're told to do. So since you brought up the workouts, tell me a bit more about, like, kind of, like, what you were doing before and then what it looks like now so that people can kind of understand how that actually affects the gut. Yeah. I look back on some of my workout journals now and I'm like, that was crazy. Like I can't even, I, I have no idea how I did it because back then, um, I was training for half marathons pretty much year round. Mm -hmm. So I would run anywhere from three miles to 15 miles in a day. And some days I would do double workouts. I would do, I would run and then I would lift. And my lifting was usually like circuit trainer or something like really hard like that. Um, meanwhile, I also during that time thought it would be a good idea to experiment with all of this workout and then like carb backloading or like long periods of intermittent fasting or just like I, I was doing it all, you know, mm -hmm. like I think you can try all the things for healing, but you can't try all the things at one time. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, I did, that's, that's what my workouts were like. I mean, I remember I once did one of Jamie Easton's programs. And while I think like it was great or whatever, some days I was working out hard for two hours. You know, I mean, that was like never uncommon for me to work out two hours ever. Like even after we had kids, sometimes I would do that. Um, and then what happened was I really did start to scale back. You know, I would get into these ruts where I would think like, Oh, I can long distance run again. And, and I would train like that. But like, for the most part, I was scaling back. But, but when I say scaling back it, I, I have to sit back today and ask myself like, but was I really scaling back? Because the way that I scaled back was like, okay, I'm going to work out for 30 minutes, but it's going to be so hard and I'm going to be drained for the rest of the day. And, and the reality is that the gut doesn't, it doesn't know the difference between, you know, like your different kind of stressors. And for 30 minutes of high intensity training, that's a lot. And that's a lot to put your body through. And especially if you're not recovering appropriately, which I never was. Mm -hmm. So I look back and I'm like, okay, I was scaling back, but was I really? No, I wasn't. And so this last time when I finally like have like, it's finally like ingrained, like you have to actually change something. What I did was I started asking myself, and I said this too on, um, I don't know if you know our Fierce and Fit, see mm -hmm. Kendall, mm -hmm. I love her. I was on her podcast and I said this too on hers, but I just started asking myself like, but what for? So like, if like, I just started saying like, okay, if I do these hard workouts or I, you know, like can train to get in the sevens for half marathons. Okay. That's real nice. But what for, like, what am I doing it for? Am I trying to impress someone? Am I trying to go to the Olympics? Because certainly that's never going to happen. <laughs> am I trying to, you know what I mean? And so when I started to do that and I was like, the reality is all I want to do right now is to like work out because I like it mm -hmm. and I want my stomach to thrive. And I want to feel so good that I can keep up with my two, three and five-year-old all the time. You know, like that's what I really wanted. And so what that looked like for me this past year is I probably work out two to three times a week. 
And I maybe, and one of those days is maybe hard. And by hard, I work out with a couple guys at my gym and I love it, but it's like 20 minutes of just like some kind of like circuit style stuff. It's 20 minutes. Like I pretty much tell them if they ever go past 30, I'm like, I'm out, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, I still love to trail run because it's my force, my form of meditation. I think it's like very peaceful. And so I do run here and there, but maybe like mm, five miles total a week right now. Like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do, I'm, I'm actually doing a, uh, like a 12 K tra- um, trail marathon or trail race, but I'm training like maybe five miles, maybe a week. Like mm-hmm. I just, I don't push my body ever. I walk a lot. Um, I have this thing where I do these um, healthy challenges for myself each month that are like very basic. Like this month, it's, sitting completely still and quiet for two minutes which is seems like nothing but it's like a lot for me Mm -hmm. um next month I'm just doing like 25 burpees like just simple things you know um and I scale back and the and the really crazy thing about it all is that I feel better and I fit into my clothes better than ever before I like I've dropped the unnecessary like inflammation quote-unquote weight you know mm-hmm. like I'm not and I'm not constantly starving anymore and I'm not my hunger levels have normalized um I go to the bathroom like a normal person I you know like everything is so much better and I have more time yeah <laughs> not all the time well I think it's really encouraging for a lot of women to hear because I think I know from experience that that's like a big issue when I'm working with clients, they don't want to pull back and it's hard for them to believe that like pulling back will make them feel better. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that. And I know that a lot of women, they are scared that they're going to like gain weight. And it's like, I see it over and over again. People lose weight when they do less. If it's like, if it's stressing out your body and causing inflammation, you're going to hold on to extra weight and you're just like fighting yourself. You know, you're fighting your body. Yeah. Cause I, like, I, I know how that feels because I fought with that for years and years and years, like, that I had to do more. And, and I think, like, even in my personal life, not just, like, fitness, whatever, but I think, like, as women, it's, like, we always think whatever part of our lives is, like, we have to do more and be more. And, like, everything has to be more and more and more because if it's not, then, like, we're just, like, nobody. We're not doing anything. We're not seen, you know. But, like, I someone asked me also recently on a podcast, like, what I hustle for. And I'm, like, I hustle for less. Like these days, honestly, like I am trying to do the least amount of possible with the most impact because I know that that is like life changing. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I was just talking to somebody else about this the other day, how I used to always feel like you have to hustle harder. Like if I want good things, it's like you have to work really hard to make good things happen and be successful at X, Y, and Z, whatever that is in your life. And like in the last two years, I've had this whole shift where I'm like, path of least resistance is where the universe wants me and it's like it shouldn't be effort like if you're on the right path it shouldn't feel like you're fighting every step of the way like you know you're doing the right thing when it just is easy and it just Mm -hmm. flows um but I I think that's hard for a lot of people to accept um but I mean it can be applied in every aspect of your life right like I mean obviously workouts food business (laughs) Um, you know, it's actually funny about that too. I'm working on a post right now about, um, like minimal supplements Mm -hmm. because I think about that even with like, like everything about gut healing, everyone wants to make 
super duper duper complicated. Mm-hmm. Like they want to know, like I told you before, like they want to know every last morsel to put in their mouth down to the calorie and the carb and the, and the reality is that like, that is just not that that's not how it works at mm-hmm. all. And, um, you know, over the years I've taken probably hundreds of supplements, you know, like it's, I, I used to joke that my, that my, I was like a pharmacy at my house mm-hmm. because I, and, and it was like a part-time job to take all these supplements. But what I learned is that like for every single person, there's like this very finite amount that are actually super helpful and critical for your healing journey. And beyond that, everything else you just, you actually probably should just like put aside because otherwise you don't really know what's helping you. Mm -hmm. If you're like doing all the things all the time, all the supplements, all the different diets, all the, you just don't know. And it's too hard to navigate and it's exhausting. I totally agree. And I think that's also, I mean, I see a lot of people working with functional medicine doctors and they come to me and they show me their supplement routines and I'm like, why are you on all these things? And they don't even know. And I think sometimes doctors will put their patients on just a ton of supplements to make them feel like they're doing something and it's all unnecessary I'm like can we strip this down to like what you actually need because if you're putting too many things in your routine one of those could be causing issues like supplements can cause problems as well um I'm curious what are you, what do you think are kind of like the top gut healing supplements like bare bones that you suggest maybe start to look into? Um, so for me, the ones that have been super life-changing were the digestive enzymes. Mm. So if your like, body can't break down things, which as humans, like we are lacking like certain enzymes. So naturally, we, there's a lot of things we can't break, like for instance, lactose, you know, um, digestive enzymes, critical. Um, if you do the um, at-home HCL, the stomach acid test, and you know that you have like really low stomach acid, then the HCL, um, uh, betaine with pepsin is like, also has been life changing. It's always, always, always there. The, the topic of probiotics, um, I think is so subjective. So today, because I'm thriving, I take pro- probiotics. Mm-hmm. When I'm not, and when I wasn't, uh, they did me no, no good. So, um, I think that you just have to know exactly like where you're at on your journey and like, you know, you've been diagnosed with the right things, but I do believe that probiotics can be super helpful. You have to get a super duper high quality one. You have to be like very sure about it. I don't, um, I have probiotic companies reach out to me every single day. Everyone wants me to promote their probiotic and I just can't do it because I do not want to be shilling out things that I don't believe in. Um, and so the only two that I um, have on my recommended supplement page is that there's one by um, purely primal or it's a primal probiotic that I love and then yeah. equilibrium is really great as well so those are the two that I've always worked really well for me in different seasons of my healing journey but that um, another one that I, is a staple for me is L-glutamine mm-hmm. uh, and that's really good for athletes as well too like for muscle soreness and like muscle repair but it's also great for the gut lining I have been religious to the now foods um, powder uh, farm of it for years now and I talk about it all the time on Instagram stories I love L-glutamine and then um, I guess though I think those are like pretty much my like staple staples I mean you could like talk about food and you could talk about everything so like 
omega-3s and your cod liver oil. But I mean, those are my basics. I also personally take um, vitamin A liquid drops every day um, just to help. I don't even really do a bunch of B12 anymore because my levels have really leveled off. Vitamin D, I also am a fan of just because we really don't, we don't get sunshine that much here. Um, and, and then the last one is this um, supplement called anyone that has a lowered immune system, which I'm naturally just prone to with all the different things I've had in my life. Um, it just has really helped boost my immune system. It's, it's also my functional doctor. I have a new one now in Minnesota, by the way. I don't see Dr. Schweig anymore, but I can still highly, highly recommend him or anyone at the Institute. Okay. Wait, what was that, that supplement that helps your immune system? It cut out. It's called it's called whole immune. Whole immune. H W H like whole mm-hmm. and then M U N E. Okay. Whole yeah, I haven't heard of that one. I'll have to look that up. But yeah, all of your staples are like the same exact as me. I'm like that's the same thing. Um, yeah. The now foods L glutamine. I think I have gone through. Like I'm like, do I fund your whole company? I <laughs> know <laughs> seriously. And you know, like people ask me all the time, like how much like people get really obsessed about l glutamine they want to know like all the details like do i take an empty stomach how much do i take that is like you have to just like work with your practitioner on that you have to like know you have to like increase slowly like honestly i just i take the max dose for me now because i've been taking it so long and it's so effective for me but mm-hmm. have you ever tried colostrum i have not mm, interesting i wonder how you would do with that that really helped me Um, yeah yeah and I mean I was a little nervous at first because I do not tolerate dairy whatsoever but no issues with colostrum um and I just think it's so it's so great for the gut like yeah you should look into it um I really I will definitely look into it yeah I mean these days I can tolerate some dairy um it's it's crazy because I you know I shared so much about my journey with gaps and doing that whole I'm I'm sure you know what gaps is Mm -hmm. most people do I live very gaps and paleo for so long, but these days, because I love fruits and vegetables now that every, like I'm feeling so well, I live pretty much like a 98% vegetarian lifestyle. And, and I just, it works for me and I'm feeling like incredible eating like more plant-based stuff now, but I will do dairy here and there and it doesn't bother me anymore. So I wonder about that. Like, I bet I would be just perfectly fine with it. Oh, you'd be probably be totally fine. Cause I know people who have like major dairy issues who do fine with colostrum, but it's like super healing. And I really like the, the brand sovereign laboratories. So you should look into that. Um, I can send you a link too, but yeah, I think you would like that, but um, since on the topic of diet, I would obviously love to talk about diet. Um, and so you, you started off with like gaps is kind of the first thing that ever got you relief. Um, tell me more about when you were mentioning how it can cause issues if you're on it for too long. Yeah. So, okay. So there's like different phases of the gaps diet and like the intro phase is like the bare bones. It's like, um, broth. I mean, that's when I got obsessed with broth. I can make broth in my sleep to this day. In fact, I'm coming out with a new recipe of how I make my bone broth in the Instant Pot, too. It's like I still make it to this day because I, I broth is like actually a staple. Bone broth is for us still. Yeah, everyone in our house. Um, but so the intro stage is broth, like slow-cooked meats and fat. And that's pretty much it, right? And so then like, when you move through the stages, you add things. So like the next stage, I think you can add like avocado and something. And then the next stage you can add 
like um, de-seated, de-skinned, um, steamed like zucchini and certain, you know what I mean? So it's like very slow. But, but what I did was I literally stayed and toggled between phase one and phase two. So meat, broth, fat for months and months and months. Mm. And meanwhile, by the way, I was training for a half marathon. And actually the only thing I did add was, um, I would, I would add bananas in that because on the GAPS diet, you can have super brown bananas because they're a monosaccharide and they, um, they break down super easy, which is so funny because now if you have SIBO, brown bananas are high FODMAP and the green, it's so conflicting and so difficult. Oh my gosh, my life. Um, but anyways, so I was eating some bananas, but that's it. Okay. So meat, fat, broth, and about two bananas and running like an average of seven miles a day. And so, and I just stayed there for so long instead of like, and I think it's because I was scared, you know, like, like any, anyone, I, I think, you know, there's, it wasn't my fault. I had been miserable for so long and now finally I was feeling so great mm-hmm. that I think I just didn't, I didn't want to feel, you know, bad again. Um, so I stayed there for a very long time and yeah, I mean, I think I, I really did some damage to my hormones. Um, I mean, I know I did because a lot I've done, I I had a lot of other problems that started after that. Um, so I think if you do the gaps, like there's can be so many benefits. You can like start to like figure out like, Oh my gosh, I could be onto something here, but I think you should work with like a trained practitioner or like a nutritionist or someone that can help you move through it faster to get you to the place where you're eating like a more normalized diet. Um, I mean, you know, and again, I say normalize and then there's people that would jump on that because keto, that's basically the keto diet. And they say that that's all you need. But like the reality is, I mean, I'm living proof that for women, it's, it doesn't always, it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work in your favor to stay on the diet like that for a really long time. Yeah. So, I mean, so what is your opinion on keto for SIBO, keto for gut health? Yeah, I wrote, I have a, I actually have a post called keto for SIBO. Mm-hmm. Um, I even have, I've written about then like two, like intermittent fasting and meal spacing and all the stuff that like women really wanted to do and to try for a lot, you know, usually for aesthetic purposes. Um, but the, the truth is that I believe they are and can be very good for gut healing. Like when you are like super miserable, um, like I was, I do think that they can help. They can jumpstart it. I just think that you have to be very careful of the amount of activity you're doing during that time and also how long you stay on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't know. So, so today I actually do practice intermittent fasting and meal spacing both. I do not do any form of keto or any form of gaps, nothing. I eat a ton of fruits and vegetables. I eat grains. Now I eat and I don't even work out that much anymore. It's kind of funny. It's like so opposite. Now I like eat all these carbs and I don't work out. Um, but I, I do intermittent fasting, but I believe that for women, like the 12 to 14 hour is best um, because I have found that hours. Um, so like I will be done eating at usually between five and six at night, and then I will eat the next day between six and eight. Um, and then meal spacing, because it is really good to let your, the MMC, you know, like 
the cleansing waves and to let your food digest and move through before you can stuff it with more stuff, especially if you have SIBO. So I try to go at least three, if not four hours in between. But when I eat my meals, they're bigger now. So like before I was just a straight snacker. Like I would snack all day long, like hundred calories here and there every, you know, hour and it didn't work. And so now I just eat a lot, mm-hmm. but at different, like at, you know, few times a day yeah I'm the same like when I learned about the snacking thing and letting the MMC roll through uh, like that was a game changer for me and now it's like one thing I always stick to it's like if I don't have total control over like you know eating like avoiding all the foods that maybe trigger me I'm like I I can I can give space in between my meals and it helps me feel so much better yeah um well kind of rolling into that I mean let's talk about carbs for a second because controversial you know like a lot of people say you need to avoid all carbs while healing and then also after healing can you ever reintroduce the carbs and like I mean from what you've said it seems like yes you're able to reintroduce carbs but like let's just like open up this conversation more around like carbs during um and after the the healing phase when it comes to SIBO well I think it yeah when it comes to SIBO like I okay so yeah as it comes when it comes to SIBO you have to like step back and say, okay, you're healing your gut, but what are you, what actually are you healing about your gut? Do you have, what have you been diagnosed with? Or are you just like in general healing your gut because you don't feel well? Because if that's the case, then this is going to be a very long journey for you, very hard. And you, it might be a very long time before you can believe that you can eat carbohydrates again, because that's where I started. Mm -hmm. But once you have an actual diagnosis, like for instance, SIBO. Okay. So with SIBO, you can, white rice is low FODMAP. Quinoa is low FODMAP, but you know, then there are other carbs that can be harder to digest. Like, um, like, well, sweet potatoes, I've written about that a ton, even though they're not really high FODMAP, but, um, like anything like bread can be hard, hard to process or like not gluten-free oats or high, high FODMAP, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you eliminate all the carbs are, your SIBO is going to feel better. I've actually wrote a blog post about carbs and SIBO as well. And so I have done many experiments. Yes. However, what if you could get by eating a fourth to a half cup of white rice because it's low FODMAP and you feel just fine. Mm -hmm. Then, then I believe that that is like your choice. Then, Mm -hmm. then it's like, you're asking yourself why, what's the real reason you're not eating the carb? Is it because of like, you're trying to like make gut healing a diet or is it because you really believe that they're not good for you? I've written about this a lot too. Is gut healing a diet? Because on the one hand, yes, it is, but also it's not. If you really, really, really want to heal your gut, you're going to try to eat. You're going to try to do everything in your power to heal it. But you also want to eat as many foods as possible without hurting your progress. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? I think it's just so like we get so caught up in this whole carb thing and if it's healing your gut or not. But we forget to just like step back and listen to our bodies. Mm -hmm. What is your body like? We know that white rice is low FODMAP. So you making the decision to eat it or not eat it um, sometimes isn't even about 
if you have real gut healing on your mind or if there's something else. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of my journey, I would say, nope, I can't have white rice. But it wasn't because my stomach hurt or because I didn't think it was healing because it, you know, was had toxins in it or whatever. It was because I thought white rice was, quote unquote, bad for me. Mm-hmm. And, and it had too many empty carbs that would make me fat. Mm. Yeah. You see? Yeah. So that's that when it comes to the whole carbs and SIBO or carbs and gut healing thing, I think like that's the real, the root of the issue. And like, you have to like really dig and spiral down to figure out what it is for you. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I believe that carbs can be part of healing. Yeah. It's funny. I believe that yeah. in the beginning they might not be. Yeah, that's true. And it's funny when you bring that up. Cause it's like, I see this, how men and women go through like a SIBO protocol so differently. Like men on a SIBO protocol will eat, will do, they'll try and eat everything they can. Like they try and push the limits and women are more likely to just like cut out any carb, you know? Um, that's exactly what you were saying. But so, so for, I'm, I'm gathering basically that low FODMAP really helped with you while you were healing from SIBO. Um, do you still, keep to pretty low FODMAP or now can you tolerate high FODMAP foods? I eat high FODMAP foods every day all the time but if ever I'm feeling I have very classic SIBO symptoms so like up in my small intestine like I it feels like someone's like punching me and it feels like I'm like constantly like famished and starving whenever I start to feel that creep in even a little bit I pull back Mm -hmm. and I do believe in the low FODMAP diet but here's the thing about the low FODMAP diet that even becomes tricky is that there's like this, this quantity that you can do, you know, like some things you can do like 10, no problem, like 10 nuts, no problem. Once you hit 20, major problem, high FODMAP, you know? So it's like also understanding, and this is what I mean also about like not making it a di- like a diet, but just like healing. So if I can have 10 cashews, I'm going to eat 10 cashews, right? Like, yeah. And if I can't have 20, then I'm just not going to eat 20. Mm-hmm. So like that's kind of how I live today is very... Um, I just go with what, like, I, I'm very, very, very much in tune with my body. I've had to learn how to do that. And I just listen to it. And if ever it's starting to feel a little bit off, I pull back on everything mm-hmm. like FODMAPs, um, not white rice. I'm still going to eat my white rice. Um, the workouts, the stress levels, the everything I pull back just to make sure that I stay well. Okay. That makes sense. I'm also curious. I know you've mentioned before, like that you learn more, learning more about food combining and that certain food combining might have helped you. Like, can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Um, well, I started to realize that like, well, when, when I was sick, like if I would have like carbs and fat and protein and like all the things in one meal, it was a lot harder to digest, which makes sense because they all like digest different so differently. But like whenever I would just have like meat and um, fat together, I was fine. Or if I would have like um, just like rice with a protein, I was usually fine. Like a leaner protein, I was fine. Um, carbs and fat didn't really like mesh well. Um, but I do believe like in in car in food combining and like how it affects our bodies. I just don't believe that there's like one way for everybody. Like, cause I, so our bodies just break things down so differently. But like today 
if I want to eat like all the things at once, like a piece of pizza or something, I still don't do gluten. I've been gluten for gluten free for eight years, except for when I was in Italy. Um, this last summer I ate all the gluten and I was perfectly fine. And so today I kind of have it here and there, like if it's a special occasion or something. But what I do then is I just always make sure that I have the enzymes because I think the enzymes do really help break down like those heavier, like more complex meals that your body's kind of like, okay. And then the other big thing that people do give the eye roll to, but I'm just like, it has worked for me like incredibly is after I'm done with a meal, I have a cup of warm water with lemon. I always do that and it really helps with digestion. So interesting. Okay. I mean, people should try it out. Cool. Um, so, so now kind of what's working for you is like, you've been able to introduce a lot. You eat in, in your feeding window. Um, you leave space in between your meals and you still practice some like food combining. Basically that works for you. Yep, exactly. And I, I mean, uh, I don't know if this has helped me or if it's just because I spent so many years meated out (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I don't eat that much meat anymore like I said I'm a lot more vegetarian now there's actually another blog post called can you heal your gut on a vegetarian diet and what I concluded after researching and practicing on myself was that when I was in the depths of healing it did not work Mm -hmm. I could not make it work because it was just too hard on my stomach I was constantly bloated I have a lot of vegetarians and vegans that come to me and say that they're still miserable they don't I know from such an experience that it, it can be very, very hard um, to heal. But once you are kind of over that hump, you can live a life and like continue healing your gut, mm-hmm. primarily vegetarian or vegan because I'm doing it right now and it's incredible. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think it depends where you're on your, on your health journey. And I actually just wrote a post that yesterday called like, that a healthy diet is different from a healing diet. And I'm like, the way I ate when I was healing, like when my body was just under so much stress, like now I eat, you know, things that I never would have used to eat two years ago. And people are like, you can't eat that. I'm like, well, I can now because I don't have, I don't have as many, I don't have problems anymore. But like, yeah, like two years ago, it would have destroyed me to eat these things. Um, And so it's just all in context, you know? Um, So I totally agree there. I, one thing that you definitely touch on that I, you, you talked about like, um, a lot of women under eating causing, and that can kind of contribute to gut issues. And I'm curious more about how you help women work through that and like how, how women know if they're under eating or if they're eating enough. I know it's so hard. Um, the thing with under eating is that women don't realize it's super stressful on your body. Mm -hmm. Like we're made to eat food just like men. Like we get to eat. You're not, you're allowed to eat and you're not only allowed to eat if you work out that day. Like you, if you just lay still all day, you are burning a lot of calories. Mm -hmm. And so you need to eat. Um, How would you know if you're under eating? I mean, I think women, this is the hardest thing for them because they don't want to believe it. So when they're super tired and they go to their doctor and their doctor tells them, oh, you have kids, you're just tired, it's no big deal, you know? Yeah. Or when they're um, really hungry and they say, well, I mean, I, I had a piece of toast and jam for breakfast, I can't still be hungry, then they ignore that. Or, you know, just like things that they, they don't really want to believe, but those are some signs. Or like, obviously, like missing your period would be, you know, that's obviously like a telltale sign or um, just having like a different menstrual cycle. Um 
like your mood can change. You can get a lot more like irritable um, gut. You can definitely start to have gut issues because you haven't been nourishing your body. You haven't been feeding it. So those are some signs I think to, to watch out for. And like how you like really start overcoming that or how, I mean, so for me, what I do and when I am like talking to women about this, it's like, you have to like get to the root of why, you know, it, it sounds so like whimsical, you know, so like, Oh, laddie daddy, let's just go to like this land of like, you know, like deep introspective work. And, but it's the truth. And that's what you have to do because there's a reason you're under eating, you know, is it that you feel inadequate? Is it that your relationships aren't right? Is that, is it, you know, whatever it is, but like, women like we are so much more than just like the amount of calories we eat every day you know Mm -hmm. and and the thing is like the longer you tell yourself that you're not worthy of eating certain calories or certain foods unless you do xyz the more damage you're doing to your gut your overall health your if you're young and you're still wanting a family you could be jeopardizing that I believe like that's what my demise was you know I mean for me on the other side of this I'm like so thankful because of my children that I have now but like you know that's the reality of what you could be looking at there's just so so many things that when you restrict calories and it's like and then you go back to what I told you before but for what mm-hmm. like why like for what what do you like, you know and then Finally, like I would say, this is what I tell anyone that I work with is if you can, and as often as you can find a therapist, find someone to talk to, to sort it through to, there's nothing wrong with seeing a therapist. Like so many people do. And even more, more than the people that do are the people that should be and don't, you know? And I think it it can really change your life and your relationship with food and your body. And when you have that, you're going to find real actual healing mm-hmm. with your gut. Love it. I'm curious in general, what do you think are the kind of the top triggers for gut health issues for most people? So triggers, I believe are like a, something that's super stressful. Mm-hmm. Like, so it could be like a death in the family, but it could also be like a major illness. That's like, you know, I think that was mine. That was my trigger is I got really, really sick for those two weeks in college. Um, I think another trigger is just like overuse of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one can be if you go outside the country and then you come back with some kind of like bug or infection you that could have triggered something. And then the last thing that a lot of people don't know that's a trigger, but it is, is a surgery of, of any type. Mm-hmm. So a lot of women, after they give birth, they'll all of a sudden start to develop all these problems. And that's why is because like the stress of childbirth and then, you know, if they had a C-section, the surgery of that, um, or just like any other kind of major surgery. Like I would say when I had my tonsillectomy and adenectomy, that's kind of when my next set of problems was kind of, kind of started. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, I think, are the main triggers. Yeah, definitely. I, I want to just kind of circle back to the antibiotic issue for a second because I think this is a really important distinction to make. I get questions all the time from people, from clients or just followers, and they are very distraught over the fact that they have SIBO and their doctors are telling them they have to take antibiotics. And they're like very distraught. And I'm like, and they write out the five paragraphs about it and they don't know what to do. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, um, I think especially in like, I know in my space, I'm not 
I'm not anti-Western medicine, but I'm not let's roll to Western medicine first. There's a time and place. And my personal opinion is that antibiotics for SIBO, I mean, well, it's not really my opinion that they are completely different than like other forms of antibiotics, right? They're not systemic. They're staying in the gut. And I don't personally see any issue with using the antibiotics for SIBO. Um, and I think people get scared when they hear like, antibiotics can trigger can trigger gut health issues because they can like regular antibiotics but when we're talking about like you have SIBO and you get and you need to take antibiotics like that's kind of a different a different ball game totally yeah so to your point like they stay localized to the gut like in, into doing what they're supposed to do um I have heard of some negative um stuff like I think like um, like hearing stuff with neomycin, but I never had that side effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am totally a thousand percent with you on, on your sentiments about antibiotics. Um, I think like we are just getting so programmed to thinking that they're like the worst thing ever in our entire lives. And so we're like avoiding, them, avoiding, them, avoiding them. But like, sometimes you actually truly need them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a post called antibiotics that I wrote like four or five years ago and it was the first time I had taken antibiotics since my tonsillectomy. And I remember I had someone call me out on it and say, you're the last person I ever expected would get get on an antibiotic. Mm. And I was so angry because I had spent the last two weeks trying to like get better by myself. And by the time I went in to get the antibiotic, I was so sick. I was like throwing up. I... Um, I needed like anti-nausea stuff. Like, you know, it was so bad. And the antibiotic, because I hadn't taken one in years, it worked in like within 24 hours, I was better, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was then when I was just kind of like, you know what? Antibiotics and even medications, people mm-hmm. can need them mm-hmm. and they can do a lot of great things. And if you can find that balance between antibiotics and like holistic ways of healing, I think that's like the sweet spot, truly. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's like, yeah, we always want to go the holistic method, like if we can, but there's plenty of situations where like you do need Western medicine. And I see this with thyroid too. It's like sometimes like if you are hypothyroid, like, and you need thyroid medication, like there's no shame in that. Like your body needs thyroid. Like, (laughs) yeah, I I actually take thyroid medication. And I remember I worked with um, Dr. Amy Nett at the Institute and Mm -hmm. she was my, I worked with her on hormone stuff. And I remember her telling me she was on thyroid medication, WP thyroid, and she'd probably be on it the rest of her life. You know, it's like, it's like, there's no, like, if you need something, you need it. You're not just going to magically heal on something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a difference between taking something that your body needs versus like, oh, I have a cold. I'm going to go take an antibiotic because that's where the issue is. Like people who, I mean... I'm, like, similar to you. It's, like, I mean, when I was growing up, I was on antibiotics, like, once a month for, like, 18 years for, like, no reason, basically. Um, That's excessive. But, like, if you have an actual health issue where you need a medication, then, like, you need it. And we are blessed with Western medicine where we, we have access to that and we don't have to die. So, thanks. Right. Um, yeah. So, well, thanks, Maya. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, another thing I would like for you just to touch on is, like, your experience with low-dose naltrexone. Um, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't talk about that. I was on that for a while. I think a lot of people don't really know what the purpose is. So maybe you can talk more about like your experience using that as a prokinetic. Love low dose naltrexone. So 
um, they originally put me on it because, um, for autoimmune, uh, and so just to like really help with like the motility and everything. And like, it literally did its job overnight. I mean, it was for me, that was my experience. I know what you're talking about though. Cause I've heard people that haven't had good experiences with it. Um, cause it can kind of, some people have like weird, like sleep disturbances that go along with it. Um, but I have only ever had incredible experiences with it. And in fact, my experiences were so great with it that even this last summer when I had another colonoscopy and endoscopy, and they said that like, there's like no sign of my colitis anymore. Um, we kept on it because of the prokinetic, um, benefits mm -hmm. and how it's really helped my motility and help things move through me. So I'm, I'm still on it. I do anticipate that someday I might, you know, go off it, but I just, I don't believe that I need to this very second. Also, because it is not a traditional uh, medication, as you know, it's, um, most Western medicine doctors won't prescribe it. There's only a few compounding pharmacies that have it. Um, it's there's such low side effects with it. The cost is pretty inexpensive. I think it's like forty-five to sixty dollars for like ninety days or something. Um, yeah. So I I mean I can't. I've written about it before. Low dose naltrexone. I've talked about the history with it. You know how it was originally used for drug addiction. Um, the naltrexone and so low dose naltrexone is just like, like a very small, 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 um, amount of the full thing. So that's why it like works in a different way. So I mean, if you want to learn about all like the, or if anyone listening wants to learn about all of that, it's on my blog, it's just called low dose naltrexone. But yeah, I have loved it. So did you, did you have problems with the sleep around it or? Um, I just like... I mean, I used it for a while, and then I was on so many supplements and medications that I ended up going off everything, like, bare bones to see what I actually needed to add in, and then I went off of it and, like, didn't notice a difference on or off, so I just didn't yeah. stick with it because, I, I mean, I had to pay for it. Um, right. But um, did you ever try any other prokinetics? Mm, not really. Um no, yeah. not really. Yeah. Just that. Um, I think there was some in some of the herbal supplements, but I can't remember. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's just good. I, I, I want to just bring it up just because I don't think anyone else I've ever had on a podcast like has taken it or <laughs> I never talk about that. So, um, speak it's actually becoming a little bit more popular though. Like, yeah. um, more people are starting to talk about it now for like different conditions. So I think it's going to become more mainstream just like SIBO is becoming more mainstream. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of motility, I would love to touch on this for a second. Um, bowel movements, because one of my favorite yeah. topics <laughs> and I, <laughs> um, poop. yeah, poop. I love poop. I love talking about it. And no one else wants to talk about it, but I'm sure you're down for it. So yeah. let's cover what are your top general – I mean, obviously, we can't get into the nitty-gritty. I'm sure, like, there's a lot on here. But I want you to give your top recs for people struggling with constipation and then struggling with diarrhea. Okay. So 
Um, okay, so constipation and diarrhea, and the funny thing about it is that a lot of people toggle between both. So, like, at any given time period, you can, like, struggle with both. So, like, these tips could be good for both either. Um, okay, so constipation, I love actually this. Um, if you're, like, then back, so people think that constipation is, like, oh, my gosh, I've been backed up for a week. I mean, that's, like, awful. If you haven't gone to the bathroom for a week, you really need to, like, figure it out because that should not be, like, they say you should be going to the bathroom two to three times a day, but at the very least, like, once every day or every other day. Like, I'm even, like, hesitant to say every other day because that's still not that good. So if it's been, like, more than that, you need to take some action. So one thing that I love is I love the intestinal movement formula. It is completely herbal. Um, I talk about it a lot. I was first introduced to it from um, Dr. Schweig, and I absolutely love it. So that's something that can help overnight. I used to take um, and use the traditional medicinal smooth move tea. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was um, it's the senileaf. And the mm. senileaf, our bowels can become dependent on it, and we don't ever want that. Like, that's a total mess. So, like, I, I'd be very careful with that one. But the intestinal movement formula, not like that. Um, another thing is to just, like, eat foods that, like, um, are going to, like, help. Okay, I, like, quote, unquote, like, slippery. You know what I mean? So, like, fats and things that just, like, really are going to help. Unless you don't have a gallbladder, that's a whole other issue. But, you know, just, like, really help smooth and make things, like, go through you. Um, if you have SIBO and you're constipated, you do have to be careful of FODMAP things because they can, like, make you even more constipated or, like, People always say, like, fiber, 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 fiber. But, like, honestly, like, if you're super constipated, a lot of times fiber is going to work against you, too. So you have to be careful. That's, like, a slippery slope as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would – the other thing that I like to do that's really natural is, like, vitamin C can really, like, help flush through, um, get a high-quality one. I think I use um, – it's called Doctor's Best. Love it. Um, just, like, anything, like, lemons, like, lemon water. Try that. Um, I would, if you're really constipated, just like limit the amount of like sugars and like breads and things, anything that'll like get stuck in you. That's not going to like, just keep moving through. Um, those are kind of like my top things for constipation. Mm -hmm. Um, and then diarrhea. So with diarrhea, like you want to like stop things, obviously, like you don't like want to like keep feeding anything. So you have to be careful when you have diarrhea um, of a lot of nuts and seeds because that can like really irritate. Um, you you might, you just might want to eat foods that, yeah, like are more like stopping. So like bananas or rice or um, you, the goal then obviously like diarrhea is very like watery, right? So the goal is to just like create more bulk with it. So fiber could help in that, in those times. Um, it's funny cause I just battle with, um, the doctors that are constantly having people take like all of like the Metamucils and all of that stuff. But I don't necessarily know if I believe in that, but if you do, you could try things like flaxseed or psyllium husk to like bulken it up. Um, yeah. So those are like some of the basic tips. Yeah, love it. I'm curious, what do you think about um, 
like coffee and gut health? <laughs> I know everyone always asks me that. What do you think about coffee? And well, I love it and I drink it all the time. I drink it too much, but I have also gone through periods where I have, I have like completely stopped doing it. That was mostly to like for my thyroid and adrenal stuff though, and less for my gut. So for me personally, I've never had a problem with like um, coffee making me go too much or like anything like that, which I'm so grateful for because I love it so much. That said, I, the way that I drink my coffee is very, very diluted. Mm. So like I'm a fan of lattes because it's a lot of milk and I always get like, um, depends on if I'm like active keyboard or not, but like right now I'm not, I'm like totally good. So I'll get like almond milk or, um, I love this brand called Elmhurst. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, no, I haven't. Um, but they have like unsweetened almond milk, unsweetened cashew milk. All it is is the nut in the water. There's no like gour gums or mm. there's no additives, fillers, carrageenan, nothing. It's so incredible. So they have like, they have almond, cashew, rice. I mean, any kind of nut or grain or seed milk you can think of, they have. So like I will fill up that and then with like a little coffee or the other way that I do my coffee is just like black coffee, but then like I fill like another half with like coconut milk, something like really fatty. Like I like that arrow. Um, oh, how do you? I don't even know how you say it. Arroyo or arrow? A R O Y slash D. Oh yeah, Arroyo D. Arroyo D. Oh, yeah, Arroyo yeah. D. Yeah, it's full fat coconut milk, and mm-hmm. it's like beautiful. Like it's like a creamer. Yeah, but it's I put so a lot nice. of fat in there. Yeah. yeah, and then all I do then it, I just so it's like heavily diluted, and then I just add like some kind of like usually it's monk fruit, sometimes honey, but again, if you're active SIBO, honey won't work. Um, I like sweeten, but a lot of people like just love like black coffee. So in that case, I would just say just to dilute it. I mean, if you're really worried. And then the other thing is I always just to like really gut really goes hand in hand with like your stress levels and everything as, as like I've talked about a lot today. So to reduce that, I have, um, so um, I really, really reduce the amount of caffeine I drink, and I just try to drink a lot more decaf. Okay, that makes sense. Good tips. I, I, I mean, coffee's a hot topic, right? <laughs> so, Do you like coffee? Um, I like the taste, but I don't drink it because my caffeine tolerance in general is so like. If I drink coffee or if I have chocolate, I'm like, I don't sleep for like three days. <laughs> I've just always been like that. So, yeah. So, and that's, that's like you just being like very aware of your body. And that's, that's what I just tell people to do is just listen to your body. See, like for me, there was a time when I had to give up so much and I loved coffee that I was like, if I have to give up one more thing, someone's going to die, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just figured out how to make it work. And so that I didn't have to give that up. Yeah. I definitely understand feeling like you have to give everything up. Um, Just to wrap up on the your perial dermatitis kind of situation. So I know it's resolved now, but what like, and I know like you've talked about in your blog, like basically getting rid of the SIBO was the you know fixing your gut health really helped to heal it. Um, do, is there anything else that you would like recommend to people who are struggling with that? Like, what what's your top tip for them? Yeah, so it really did come back to healing my gut. Um, And I've written a ton about perial dermatitis because it's also like, it's really for women. Like, it's hard. I don't know if you've ever dealt with any kind of acne, Mm -hmm. but it is, it was so embarrassing for me. There's a post on my blog called, um, like, Brazen Being Brazen because 
my face at one point just looked so awful. I was so embarrassed to be in public, but I was like, this is just like who I am. And I have to like heal, but I, I have to like also live my life and go in public. Mm -hmm. And I've also dealt with lots of periods with like really bad cystic back acne, which is also like really hard as a woman to like, I don't know. It's just really like makes you feel really self-conscious. But what I did with my apparel dermatitis, honestly, was I, stripped out a lot of things. I went very gaps when I did, when I feel that, mm -hmm. um, I stopped using fluoride in my toothpaste. Mm -hmm. I use this earth paste now, which it was like, I, at first I was like, yeah, right. That's never going to help. Totally help. I use it to this day. I won't use any other kind of earth paste. My husband calls it my hippie paste. <laughs> um, I let's see what else I do. I stopped using well, in the beginning, I really didn't use anything on my face. So everyone wants to know, like, oh, my gosh, is there, like, a face product that I can use, whatever? It's, like, actually, the truth is, even though, like, I love beauty counter and I do beauty counter stuff and I love skincare just right now, if you want my honest opinion, if you have really bad acne, use, like, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> because... Because you need you need to let your skin just heal, and so my I I didn't use anything on my face really in the beginning. I used coconut oil, and I realized that didn't work for me. But I do know that jojoba oil can work for a lot of people. Just like putting some on lightly, um, wash your face, don't overwash it. Stop using products with junk in it. Like that's for sure. That's one thing I really did is I changed all my personal care stuff, even the tampons I use, all that stuff. I just I really got serious about that. Um, and finally, the thing that I think really helped get it gone for good was it wasn't too long after that, that I was diagnosed with SIBO. And with that came my intense healing with that, which included the antibiotic mm -hmm. and magically, not really magically, but magically it all went away at once. So yeah. I do, so I believe that's why I know for a fact that it goes hand in hand with the gut and skin but healing my skin was was a combination of the herbals, the antibiotics, the food, and the lifestyle stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got to get to the root cause. And I see this all the time with people who have skin issues. And it's like, I'm like, we have to heal your gut. And they're just like, no, but what product do I put on? Like, can I just take a supplement? I'm like, no, we got to get to the root. It's just going to – you can't Band-Aid it, you know. So I think that's super helpful. And anyone who is struggling with that should definitely go to – your website because then you have so many posts up about that. I also um, read um, Liz Wolf. I absolutely love her, but she has a really great, she's got like a lot of skincare books. Mm -hmm. And so um, she has a lot of really great recommendations in there too that I apply, you know, like different things with like, um, that's why I still to this day take the vitamin A drops is like for skin health. Um, also like to this day, I do like a lot with collagen and gelatin and um, like I do a lot of things to maintain it now and, um, I barely wear any makeup. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I wear like, I wear like, I'm very like simple, plain and basic. And I love like just keeping my skin as healthy as possible with what I'm feeding myself and, you know, just my stress levels. Yeah. Well, I just have one final question for you and I've kept you a while, but I'm curious because you have so much knowledge and information about gut health and this is like a very popular topic for people and you're very active on social media and your blog and I'm sure you get so many people just coaching you for free advice um <laughs> all the time and I'm curious how you balance like I mean that can like answering people's messages can be a full-time job and it's like you have a full-time job and you put all of this into your blog like most people 
who would look at your blog and your your content would assume that's probably your full-time job it's like you're doing so much and you have kids and like how how do you balance that like when you're getting all these inquiries like people I'm sure people send you their whole personal journey and like, <laughs> like how do you balance that I don't yeah um no I do um I so I don't know. I mean, honestly, like I do it out of such a place of pure passion mm-hmm. that like I told you when we first started talking today, I get up at like 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. And so from like four until about now is my personal time every single day when I just try to like really be present with a gutsy girl and I work on the website and right now I'm going through like a redesign and um, I'm really like I, again, like I told you earlier, like we're focusing on all things gut moving forward. I'm moving off all of the other things from the site. So it's going to be like, like IBS, IBD, SIBO, infertility, um, thyroid, uh, colitis, Crohn's, like me, all gut all the time. And that's what I just, I just focus on it. I respond to messages. Um, I always, always have like at least 20 or more messages that are unread Mm -hmm. because I try to keep up as fast as I can. One thing I do that I am, that I actually love, and this is like, I give this recommendation to anybody that's like trying to keep up with messages is when someone um, private messages me, I usually send them a personalized voice message back. Mm -hmm. So instead of spending all the time like typing because, Oh my gosh, my hands are like killing me from the computer all the time. I just send people personalized messages back I cannot answer every single question that comes across, but, but when I find common themes, I write long detailed blog posts. Mm -hmm. Um, I give people exactly what they want. Like if people, people are telling me right now that they want recipes, but they want me to just like write it out in a graphic. Fine. I will do that. I I'm, this is just like a total like passion project for me and I love it. And I don't, I do not, I barely work with any brands even the ones that like say that they're going to pay a lot because I, I just, I'm very protective of the gutsy community because I know it's such a sensitive topic and I would never want to, you know, have people do something that I wouldn't recommend for my family and my friends. And so that's just the approach that I take. And then I have my, my job and I'm marketing director for delighted by dessert hummus. And I do that for the last half of the day. And I absolutely love it. It's a super inspiring team and environment. And it gives me like all of the like joy, it brings me so much joy. And, um, and then at night I have my kids, I have three kids and my husband, and I just try to disconnect as much as possible because I know that as soon as they go to bed, then the next day it's like, I get to do this. I get to do this all over again. You know, like mm-hmm. I get to do a gutsy girl. I get to do delighted by, and I get to do my family. So yeah, it's a great yeah. outlook. Yeah. I guess I'm just, I love the idea of the voice message. The only thing I feel like, I feel like if I did that, it turns into like you give someone an inch and they run a mile, like where, you know, I think it's a tricky line with a lot of people where it's like, okay, well, I can answer that question, but then you keep asking more and more. And then at what point is like, you have to pay to work with somebody, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I usually start there. And then, um, if there's like more dialogue that goes back and forth, then it's usually like, Hey, you know, by the way, I have a 286 page ebook that is all about the gut and you can get it. Um, or I do work with people one-on-one, which as I told you, I'm going to be stopping. Mm -hmm. But usually, like, people are, like, pretty respectful of it, Mm -hmm. I found, and they really, really, really appreciate it.
creaky about the back. Like yeah. just hearing your voice is like pretty cool. And it can only be a minute. So that's the other thing that's like kind of nice. You know, it's like a minute or less. Yeah, voice messages have changed my life now. I everyone anyone who communicates me with me now knows it's like I don't text anyone. I just only voiced because I'm like I can't type. It's too much work. <laughs> I know, seriously. Um, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on and like sharing your story and all of your advice. I could talk to you for hours. I love talking about gut health, but if people want more from you, if they want to pick up your ebook or just find more information, tell everyone where they can find you. I'm pretty much a gutsy girl everywhere. So it's a gutsygirl.com on Instagram. I'm a gutsy girl. Um, on Facebook, it's a gutsy girl blog. And then Pinterest, I have a ton of gut stuff, but that's my name, Sarah K. Hoffman. So those are pretty much the places I hang out. And I'm trying to stay like very focused on just like a few versus trying to be everywhere all the time. And yeah, I would love to connect with people. I, I love helping. And this, this is just like fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so fun to talk to you. Oh my gosh. It's, oh. Next time well, when we meet up, we'll have to like... I'll have to, like, whip out a bristle scale and we can, like, dissect. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Oh, my God. I love it. Okay, well, thank you again. This was so much fun. Thanks. Thank you again so much to Sarah for coming on the show and talking about all things gut health with me. Remember to check out her content at agutsygirl.com. You can find all of her blog posts, resources, the Gutsy Girls Bible on there. She's pretty easy to find and has a ton of incredible information out there for everyone to benefit from. If you enjoyed this show, I would love it if you left a rating and review on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a new episode. I put out new episodes every Monday and Thursday. And I would love it if you joined our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe, because you can connect with other listeners in there. We can talk about the show. You can ask questions. It's a great time. I hope you have an awesome day. Welcome to April. Here we are. So enjoy your month. Set some intentions. I hope you don't get any uh, pranks pulled on you today. But if you do, get them back. That's all I have to say. All right. That will be it for this episode. I will talk to you again next time. Bye. Bye.